0: Turn with me to John chapter 11 as we continue our study through the book of John, and uh, you might have to turn me down just a little bit, I'm talking quiet and I feel like I'm really loud, so we are picking up in the book of John, last week we read John chapter 11 And we read how Lazarus, a lot of us know the story of Lazarus, raising from the dead, but we're taking a deeper dive into the story of Lazarus. Today, my my point for my sermon, my goal today is to point you to Jesus. And why? Well, if you read at the end of the book of John, if you want to flip a few pages over to John chapter 20. Verse 30, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, everyone say believe, Believe. that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Which seems obvious, this is a church, it should be all about Jesus. Can I tell you, my point today is simply that all things are about Jesus, but sometimes we forget that, don't we? A long time ago, my dad, he, when, I, when I became a pastor, he said, don't forget your purpose. Don't get so, what he said was, don't get so caught up in the machine that you forget about the mission. And that's what we do sometimes. We get so caught up in the machine of church that we forget about the mission of church, which is Jesus Christ himself. Um, there was an American playwright, uh, Tennessee Williams, some of you might know of, who told a story that takes place back in the late 1800s about a shy Russian Jew. And this shy Russian Jewish man, his name was Jacob, He fell in love with a girl named Lila, madly in love. Anyone ever been madly in love before? Husbands, you're supposed to raise your hand right there. He fell madly in love with Lila. His dad, Jacob's dad, who was a bookstore owner, wanted Jacob to go to college, but Jacob had his eyes on Lila. It was all Lila. And so he fell in love with Lila, married Lila, and over time, his dad died. And so Jacob and Lila took over the bookstore. And as they were working at the bookstore, Jacob kind of got into the books. But then Lila had a beautiful singing voice, had an opportunity to travel to Europe and sing. And so she wanted to take it. And Jacob loved her so much. He wanted to see her dreams come true. But you have to keep in mind this was before cell phones or even phones or telegrams or anything. There would be no way for them to communicate for months or years or however long this lasted. And so Jacob, he handed her a key and said, you will need this someday, a key to the bookstore. And said, when you come back, I'll be here waiting for you. Go live your dream. Because he loved her. And she left. And she was gone for years. Now, at first, Jacob waited, looking at the window for her to come back. But she didn't return. And so he started getting into his books. And more and more he got into his books, and years went by till so he got to the point where he would just sit behind the desk and read the books, until one day, Lila walked in. She said, sir, I was wondering if you could help me find a book, flirting with him. And he barely took his nose up out of the book, and he said, what kind of book are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for a story about a a young man whose father wanted him to go to college. But he madly fell in love with a, a young singer. And he let her go live out her dreams. And the young man looked up and he said, I think I've heard that story before. It's something by Tolstoy, I think. Their eyes locked. And he did not recognize her. And she walked away sad, and he continued to read his books. See, this is us sometimes. We get so caught up in the business of doing what we're supposed to be doing, we forget our love. We forget our passion. We forget the thing that we're waiting for. In fact, we can get so caught up in church that we forget about Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, it's all about Jesus. In John chapter 11, Lazarus has died. And Jesus has come onto the scene. And we see him, first of all, talk to Martha. And Lord, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And we talked about last week how she had an incomplete faith. Like, she believes that Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but she doesn't believe Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead. And they have this theological discussion, because that's kind of where Martha's headspace is. And he tells her that he will live again. She's like, yeah, I know someday he'll rise from the dead in the resurrection. And Jesus says, no, Martha, what you don't understand is, I am the resurrection. It's one of the I am statements of John. I am the resurrection. And so Martha, she says, yes, Lord. That, that's a great prayer right there. Yes, Lord. She says, I believe. Say believe. See, that's the whole purpose of this thing is that we believe in the name of Jesus and that Jesus gets all the glory. Jesus gets all the glory. I'm losing my back row today. They're all disappearing on me. She says, I believe that you are the Christ. The son of God. And so Martha's incomplete faith starts to become a little more complete. So it seems settled, right? Yeah, Jesus, you are the Christ, I believe. But let's look down in verse 38 where we pick up our story today. It says, then Jesus deeply moved. And I love this. He was deeply moved. Again, came to the tomb because that's where they've headed now. And he said, take away the stone. And Martha, remember she's, she's got it now, right? She's figured it out. Jesus is the Christ. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, There will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. I I love the way the King James puts it. He said, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. It's kind of like some of your teenagers' bedrooms, right? They stinketh. I know mine when I was a teenager. Not now. Mine's great now. My mom always told me, you're going to have to keep this room clean. You're going to be married one day. Lord, by this time, he stinketh. Well, wait a minute. Isn't this, didn't they already settle this theological discussion? Didn't she already believe in Jesus by now? It says she believed. And yet, here she is, still not fully understanding what Jesus can do. She still has what I would call an incomplete faith. I'll go back to what I said last week. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you realize you're somewhere in that story right now? Your faith isn't complete yet. Like every day, things are happening to you and through you and by you, and your faith is becoming a little more complete every day that you trust in Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? And her doubt here did not stop Jesus. Jesus, he does rebuke her. He says, didn't I tell you that if you, what? Believe. Say believe in here a lot if you believe you would see the glory of God and that's it the purpose of all things is to bring glory of God Jesus it's all about Jesus so God can be glorified do you realize that's what victory is like we had a, a really great time a month ago at the state cross country meet when Malachi just crushed it at the state cross country meet crushed it and he had a great victory he got fifth place as a sophomore forgot to hold you for a second. As a sophomore, fifth place to state meet. And guess what he gets to do now for the rest of his life? He gets to walk in that glory. Victory brings glory. And that's what's about to happen right here. Jesus is about to bring victory into a situation which seems like complete defeat and will bring continual glory to God to the point where it's been 2,000 years since Lazarus has been raised from the dead and God's still getting glory to the resurrection of this dead man. Victory brings glory. And I'm going to tell you this morning, today you might be walking through a situation and you haven't seen victory yet. But there's going to be. What will it look like? I don't know. And this is what's, man, this is what's crazy. My, my sister and I were talking this morning about the, we read it a few weeks ago about the, the lame man who was by the pool. Right? And he was waiting for the water to be stirred up. He had faith that he was going to be healed. If he could just get into the water fast enough. He had the faith, but for years, decades, he just laid there, just waited. And then Jesus shows up. Why did he have to wait so long? Why? Well, God is sovereign. He has a plan and a purpose. And in the middle of his plan and his purpose, he shows up to this layman, heals him so God can be glorified. But what hit me, as she was telling that, what hit me yesterday as I was thinking about it, is all the people Jesus walked by you mean uh, he wasn't the only lame person sitting by that pool there were the scripture says there was other people waiting to jump in the pool when the waters were stirred and yet Jesus heals one why why didn't Jesus just start healing people left and right I I don't have great theological answers for that i do know one thing jesus can be trusted and i know jesus will bring glory to the father and whatever jesus chooses to do whether i understand it or not jesus can be trusted and the god father will be glorified so we sing that song when i don't understand i will choose you like i get to choose you even if i I don't understand why it's happening or why it's happening, Lord, I I trust you that you have a greater plan than I can even comprehend. And we have a God that's so good that he can take the enemy's purposes, which are what? To steal, kill, and destroy, which is what's happened to Lazarus here. He can use the enemy's plans against him. And what the enemy, we sing in another song, what the enemy meant for evil, you can turn it for good. It says in Genesis, like God takes the enemy's attack and just uses it against him. So death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? And that's where we lived this morning. And so he said, didn't you see? Didn't, you, didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God? So they take the stone away. So now the stench is starting to pour out. And Jesus lifts his his eyes up to the Father, and he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Whoa. We see Jesus praying. Well, isn't Jesus God? Yes. But why is he praying? As we'll see here in a second, as an example to us. And how does he start his prayer? Thank you thank you like that's what it says in Philippians chapter 4 it says don't be anxious about anything but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving make your request known to God like don't worry pray but when you pray pray with Thanksgiving well, what if my heart's broken then pray with tears in a broken heart with Thanksgiving because God is still good no matter how much your heart is crushed. And I'm not standing here saying that in some sort of cavalier way like just pray for Thanksgiving. No, I've I've been that person before. I've been that person in the fetal position on the floor with my heart broken, screaming out to God and having loved ones around me saying, there's things to still be thankful for. Like you can still see the good. God is still faithful even in the most Like seemingly disappointing times, God is still sovereign, and he still holds you in his hand. So Jesus opens up his prayer, Father, I thank you. And that's the way Jesus taught us to pray, Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. With praise to God for who he is and what his name has accomplished. He's made his name holy. He says, I thank you that you've heard me. And we know that the Lord always hears us. Your prayers are always heard. Always. There's never been a prayer that you've ever prayed that the Lord hasn't heard. He says, I know that you always hear me. But I said this now on the account of the people standing around that they may, what? Believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, I believe Jesus had to be really specific here because he's Jesus. He didn't just say, come out. Notice he's he's standing in a cemetery. If he had not been specific to Lazarus, they might have had a problem on their hands. Just Lazarus, just you, come out. And the man who had died Came out. I noticed a couple times in here, they keep calling him the man who had died. He, didn't, he wasn't just sleeping. He wouldn't pass out. He was dead. And they were worried about stench. And he came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. Because that's the way they would bury people back then. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary... And had seen what he did, what? Believed in him. End of story. Like that's the end of that part of the story. Like the end of the story is many people who were with them believed in Jesus. That's it. Now we'll find out in a minute, not everyone, not everyone believed. You know what I think is crazy right here? That's where the story ends. I don't think that's where the story should end. I have questions. I have questions for Lazarus. Why doesn't it talk about then Lazarus like you guys aren't going to believe what I just saw for the last four days? First of all, how unfair for Lazarus. Like he's been in heaven for four days. He's been sitting in his mansion or whatever and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. Hey, uh, yeah, so we've got some bad news. You've got to go back. Like what did Lazarus see in that four days? What did he experience? What what was heaven like? Who did he see there? Were there angels? Were there weird creatures? Like what was it like with the streets of gold? And it doesn't say any of that. You know why? Because the point of the story is not Lazarus. The point. Of the story wasn't heaven or the afterlife. The point of the story is one man and his name is Jesus. The point of the story is Jesus. And so those who were there believed in him. But get this not everyone. Look at the next verse. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They were tattling, they wanted Jesus to be punished. They didn't like what was happening, and that's what's crazy. You think that if you see a miracle, then man, I'll never doubt Jesus again. Some the scripture says some people actually saw Jesus raised from the dead, and it says some believed, but some doubted. That's in scripture. Some saw him there resurrected and doubted. That's. That's the story Jesus tells in another parable about the rich man. And coincidentally, Lazarus was a poor man in this parable. And the rich man, Lazarus died, and and the rich man's in hell. And he pleads with God, send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them about this place, about hell. It's so bad, he just wants one drop of water on his tongue. And God says, even Even if someone comes back from the dead, they will not believe. It says they have the law and the prophets. They have the word of God. Let them believe them. You will not see enough miracles to help you believe. If you will not believe without miracles, you will not believe with miracles. We've seen it in this very church. We've discussed it before. People who've experienced crazy miracles. Crazy. Who then end up hold up on drugs and alcohol and everything else, denying that God even exists, when they've experienced miraculous healings in their own body. You can't see enough miracles to make you believe. So they run. They run, and they, they tell on Jesus, and, and the councils are like, what are we going to do for this man? He's performing many signs. He says this, if we let him go on like this, everyone be- will believe. There's that word again, right? Believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And this is what's crazy. This is what they're worried about. So there's a political situation going on, right? Where there's a, a chief priest over the temple, but he realizes the only reason he's the ch- chief priest is because the Romans are letting him stay, the chief priest. Because the Romans are the ones that are actually in charge. And he gets to stay in charge as long as everything stays calm. But if somebody starts stirring things up, the Romans are going to come in and put the hammer down. Which, by the way, they'll do about 40 years from this passage. And they'll completely destroy the temple. And so they're worried. If this Jesus gets his way, we will lose our power. Coincidentally enough, their power didn't come from them, it came from a a crooked government. They were trusting in this crooked government. And before we get too hateful about these guys, we can't can't let Jesus have his way because we'll lose our power. Wait a minute. That sounds a lot like Drew yesterday i can't let jesus have his way then drew will lose his power sounds like you right i i can't surrender everything to jesus go with me to romans chapter 7 this is paul great man of god he writes this in in romans chapter 7 if you'll indulge me just for a moment while i read In verse 15, he says, for I do not understand my own actions. Anyone ever feel that way before? (laughs) I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. This is a man of God writing this. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. When the Bible talks about flesh, it's talking about that sinful part of you. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody ever feel that way? This is like, this is good. This is good for you, and this is good for you to be gracious to the people around you. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And he says this. So if I find it to be the law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members in my members, another law waging war against the wall, law of my mind. And it's making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Does it this is just sound like chaos going on inside? It's like, I don't even understand everything you're saying here, Paul. I mean, it just seems like inner turmoil when you read it. And this is what he says, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And and then he, he goes on, if you skip down to verse 7 of chapter 8, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Like there's this, there's this, this power, there's this authority that we don't want to give up and it makes war within us. Like I want to do good things. I I want to, but I struggle giving up authority. I struggle truly surrendering myself to Christ. I struggle. And how many would say the struggle is real some days more than others? Right, that's why, I'll tell you, that's why fasting is a good thing sometimes. Um, I, I'll, just as a thing, I'll say, for centuries, Christians fasted. It's only a modern thing where Christians, we don't fast very often anymore. But for centuries, the Christian church would fast regularly, weekly even. Um, early Christians would fast twice a week. It's tough to fast, though. It causes us to die to ourselves and what we want and let go of our own power that we want to hang on to. In Matthew chapter 16, you don't have to tur- turn there. It says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I love it because in Luke chapter 9, Luke echoes the same thing, but he adds the word daily. Let us take up his cross daily and follow me like you're gonna have to die to yourself you are gonna have to die to the fact that you want control that you want power that you want to be in charge now before you say you know so and so really needs to hear this before you do that hold up the mirror and say I really need to hear this I really need to hear this because I want to hang on I want to hang on and so what do they do? They, they plot to kill Jesus. And what's crazy is this, this pagan leader, Caiaphas, he was the high priest that year. He makes this statement. He says, don't you understand? He's talking about the power. It's better that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And what he kind of means is, it's better that we kill Jesus to stop the turmoil so we save the nation, so the Romans don't come in and get us. But he doesn't realize what he's actually prophesied. He's actually prophesying, isn't it better that one man die to save a nation? And then John elaborates on this, he says, he did not say this on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation not only for the nation, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. It was a prophetic decree that Jesus will die for the world, to gather us together. And today the reason you and I are sitting here is because Jesus died for us. He died in our place. And so we are saved because of the death of Jesus Christ, the perfect man. So it tells us that Jesus, he could no longer walk openly. He had to hide. But he knew it was only a, I mean, they knew death was coming and it would come. It just wasn't this day. It tells us the Passover was at hand. And, and then in verse 54 it says they actually would stand in the temple looking at each other and saying, what do you think? Is he going to come to the feast? Because it's now it's Passover. This is the third Passover we've seen in the book of John, and we'll talk more about what Passover is, but it's this festival of Passover, and they're thinking, is he going to show up? Why? Because people are looking for him. Why? To have him arrested. They've tried to arrest him before. It didn't work, though, because it wasn't Jesus' time. But it's coming, right? The time is coming. And so they're looking to arrest him. I want to quickly... Dip into chapter 12, and then we're going to worship the Lord this morning. In chapter 12, it tells us that it was six days before Passover. And Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom he raised from the dead. That's, that's what he gets to be known now as. He's the guy that's raised from the dead. And so they they gave a dinner for Jesus there. And we find out um, from the other gospel writers that they're eating at a Simon the leper's house. It's this guy named Simon who he healed of leprosy. But Lazarus is there, and and Martha and Mary are there. And so they, they gave him a dinner there, and Martha served. That's what we see Martha doing a lot, right? Martha served, and Lazarus was reclining at the table, and Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, two other of the gospel writers account this tale as well. They don't list Mary by name, some of them, but John does. John says this is the same Mary, like we saw at the beginning of chapter 11 earlier. He said this is the Mary that anointed Jesus. Now, there is another instance, that's not here, where another woman has done this that wasn't Mary at the house of a Pharisee, where she brings the box of alabaster. You maybe heard that story. And it's a similar thing. And this Pharisee's offended, because he's like, if Jesus knew who was touching him. But this is a different instance. This is Mary. We've encountered Mary before. This is Mary. When we look back at chapter 11, we see Mary. And, And notice, when Martha walked up to Jesus... They had a theological discussion, right? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus has this exchange with Martha about theology. And Martha begins to believe. But when Mary walks up to Jesus, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And she was weeping. And it says when Jesus saw her weeping, he began to weep. Because when Mary shows up, she drops at the feet of Jesus And begins to weep. Martha stands with Jesus and has a theological debate. But Mary falls at the feet of Jesus and weeps because her brother has died. See, every time we see Mary, we see her at the feet of Jesus. And here we see her again. Jesus is at the table. And here comes Mary once again. And she's bringing this ointment and she's anointing the feet of Jesus. And Judas gets upset. He's the one who betrayed Jesus. He says this, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself. And Jesus, he responds. He says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And I think this is interesting. Because Jesus doesn't say, leave her alone because you're a thief. Leave her alone because you're pretending to care about the poor, but really you don't. He doesn't say that at all. Because the point is isn't judas judas isn't the point what's the point jesus is the point like jesus is the victory right so he doesn't rebuke him and say you're a thief shut up he just says wait the point is me and that's what i think is so weird like instead of rebuking sin he points to himself Turn with me over to Luke chapter 6, and this is, or Luke chapter 10. This is where I'm going to end today. This is another story about Mary and Martha. In fact, this is one of the first times we see Mary and Martha. and You've heard the story, I'm sure. And I, I'll read it to you. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. That probably would have been Bethany there. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into our house. This is our introduction to them before. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of the Lord and listened to his teaching. Where's Mary again? At the feet of Jesus. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Now, I've heard this passage preached a lot. And a lot of times people use this passage to teach on serving and how serving is still a good thing. Uh, Listen, that's not what this passage is saying. Now, there's other passages that tell us to serve. It's not this one. You can find places in the Bible that command you to serve one another. It's not this one, though. This one's very clear. The language is very clear. When it talks about Martha, it says that she was distracted. That word distracted actually means to be drawn away. To be drawn away. Like, she's not just distracted, like we're like, you know, if you're a teenager sitting in school and you're trying to pay attention to math class and there's a fly buzzing around, like, oh, it's not that kind of distracted. It's distracted as in drawn away, pulled away. And that's the way it describes Martha, as drawn away. And then it tells us that she was anxious and troubled. And and the the word she said, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Do you not care? Are you not concerned? And this is not just some like, you don't care. This is the, just so you know, this is the same word the disciples used. Like they're in the, remember when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus is sleeping and a storm comes and they're afraid they're gonna sink and the boat's going crazy. And they wake Jesus up and like, don't you care that we're gonna drown? It's that same word. They're like, Jesus, don't you don't you care that I'm serving alone? And it says that she was anxious and that she was troubled. She was anxious, she was worried. That word can mean looking after one's own interests rather than others. Interesting. What does that mean? It says she was serving Jesus, but she wasn't serving Jesus. Who was Martha serving? Martha was serving Martha. Right? And she wanted Mary to serve Martha as well. Sometimes we can do that, right? We can serve, but it's really us that we're, like, what are we trying to do? Trying to be glory to ourselves? Like, oh, yeah, I'll help out this way. I'll serve there. I'll do that thing. But the point isn't Jesus. The point is Drew. And everybody look at me and how great I'm doing. And why aren't you helping me be great? And it says she was troubled. She was Turbulent. She was in an uproar. that's what that word can mean in the Greek. So she wasn't quietly coming in. Jesus, can you just help? No, it says that she was in an uproar. And Jesus tells her, "There's only one thing that's necessary." It does say a few things are necessary, but it says that Mary has chosen the one good thing, the one good part, the one good portion, and her one good part will not be taken away from her. What did she choose? What did she choose? She chose Jesus. Can I tell you, no matter where you're in life, the point is Jesus. Like if you're serving, the point is Jesus. If you're sitting, the point is Jesus. If you're giving to the poor, the point is Jesus. If you're pouring out ointment on his feet, the point is, is Jesus. If someone's raising from the dead, the point is Jesus. And so this morning I look across this room and all of us have so many different things going on in our lives. There's so many different moving pieces here and there. There's jobs and relationships and finances and and vehicles and all the things like, uh. and in all of it, can I tell you the point is Jesus. For your marriage or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, the point is Jesus. You're making your house payment? The point is Jesus. Like, that's the context of all things. And so, like, you need healing in your body this morning. And we have a lot of people who are out sick this morning. Can I tell you, the point is Jesus. Because if the point is Jesus, then when victory happens, who gets the glory? Jesus gets glory, and then by that, we can glorify his name. Because the victory Is in Jesus. All things for the glory of God. And so here we are. We're we're these people. We were were dead in our sins, right? You remember that before you knew Christ? Or maybe you're one of those people who pretended to know Christ for a while and then Jesus showed up for real. And you were like Lazarus, you were dead. The scripture tells us we were dead in our transgressions. But then Jesus shows up. He calls our name wakes us up from our spiritual deadness and now we see him we see him we sing that song um you came i knew that you would come i think the only the only real problem i have with that song sometimes is sometimes we don't believe he'll come and yet he does anyway he shows up anyway but we're like Mary and Martha, we have incomplete faith. Lord, if you had been here, if you'd have been here. But Jesus shows up right when he's supposed to. Jesus will come into your situation right when he's supposed to. And he will wake you up right when he needs to. And he'll set your heart on fire right when he needs to. And he deserves all the victory. So this morning, I would say, like, Like, what I love, what I love, love, love about this passage is that Jesus, he doesn't thank God after Lazarus is raised from the dead. He thanks God before he even gives the command. Like, God, you're worthy. Like, you receive the glory and honor. I thank you. I thank you that you're my father. I thank you that you hear my prayers. Not, I thank you that you answer my prayers. Notice that. Jesus said, I thank you that you hear my prayers. I thank you that you always give me everything I want. And so, here in a moment, we're going to enter into a time of worship and praise. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, God, thank you. Thank you because the point is you. In, my, in the troubling seasons of my life, when I'm desperate for a miracle, the point is you. And whatever happens, Jesus, I trust you and you get the victory. And I will continue to pray. I'll pray for that lost loved one to get saved. I'll continue to pray for healing. I'll continue to pray that, Lord, that you will meet my needs according to your riches and glory. I'll continue to pray the word of God. But the point is Jesus. Worship team, can you join me this morning? Will you stand with me? Was it, was the church of, was it Laodicea that he said I have this thing against you that you've forgotten your first love, was that Laodicea? In in Revelations, John, he's talking to one of the churches. That's the Lord talking. He said you're doing great. I just think you have this thing against you. You've you've forgotten your first love. It's kind of like that story I opened up with today. Like you forgot your passion. You forgot your mission. You forgot that the point is Jesus. Like if you've ever been serving and you've been upset that no one said thank you to you, which first of all, we should all say thank you to each other, right? It's always good. We should honor one another. The scripture says outdo one another in showing honor. We should always be saying thank you to each other. But if someone forgets and you don't get the recognition that you really do deserve and your heart locks up and you're mad for two weeks, I'll tell you this morning, the point wasn't Jesus. The point was you. I die daily. All these things I'm preaching to you are things that happen in my own heart. I get offended. My flesh doesn't want to die. But when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. If Jesus remains the point, it changes everything. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Jesus, I pray this morning that during this worship service that you will be the point, that you will be the reason. God, your scripture tells us that you're willing that no one should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. This morning, God, we repent for the times that the point wasn't Jesus. We repent for the times it became, I've got to be smarter. I've got to know more scripture. I've got I've to serve more. I've got I've to be recognized more. All the different things that, even good things, God, that we, we put in front of you. And Lord, especially the sin that we put in front of you. We repent for it this morning. And we say, Jesus, the, the point is you. This morning is you call us. As you call us to worship God, I pray that our hearts, our eyes, would be fully fixed on this man, Jesus, who died for us to take our place and then rose from himself from the grave, who rose from the grave to be victorious and receive glory this morning. And this morning we might believe in his name. Before we start worshiping, I want you think of one area that you need to surrender in. One area where you've been hanging on and trying to make it about you. And Say, okay, in this area, the point has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. And as we surrender with that, we're going to worship this God who chases us down. He runs after us. He shows up at our grave and he calls our name. us up. It was nothing good in us. It was nothing good in us. It was all how good He is. Let's worship this morning. I want you to listen to this. John 12, two verses, 9 and 10. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. People came to see the miracle. People came to see what God had done. They came not to see Jesus, but but the thing that Jesus had done. And I'm going to tell you right now, this morning, God wants to do some things in your life. And the thing he does in your life will draw people to Jesus. They'll show up to see like, what's this miracle? What's this thing going on? Why are you trusting in him so much? Like even even see that it's been rough for you, but you're continuing to trust the Lord and they'll show up. Sometimes your faith alone is the miracle. Can I tell you that? And your trust alone is that they'll show up and you say, yeah, I know I'm sitting in the room and you came to see me, but look who's sitting next to me. It's Jesus. I'll tell you the point is Jesus. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They wanted to put Lazarus to death because people were believing in Jesus. And I'll say this this morning, sometimes God's going to do a work in your life He's going to start to change your heart. And there will be people who come against the miracle of God in your life. And just know, it's not you that they're coming after. It's the Jesus in you. When people speak negatively and they say those things against you, it's not you that they're attacking. It's the Jesus in you. But praise God, we have victory in Jesus. The point is is Jesus and all glory goes to Jesus can we just thank him right now can we just lift up our hands and our hearts Lord Jesus right now we come before you in the name of Jesus and all across this room father God there are people who have had you work on their lives in the past and who are needing you to move in a situation in the presence and father god right now we're we're thanking you before we see the miracle god we're thanking you god we're thanking you for healing broken hearts we're thanking you for for healing bodies and restoring lives god we're we're thank you for mending relationships and healing marriages god we're thanking you for for providing financial miracles into into our homes God, before we see anything, our faith says yes, and we say, thank you, Jesus. We trust you. And when the enemy comes to steal the implanted word, when the enemy comes to to try to kill the miracle that you've done for us, we will hang on to the man sitting next to us in the room, Jesus Christ. We will hang on to you, Jesus. We will choose you. We will choose you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, is he good? Is he good this morning? Can we give the Lord one more shot of praise before we end service today? And I'm so thankful that that we have a a body that trusts Jesus. And even when we don't, we have a body that will encourage one another to trust Jesus. Because sometimes we get a little, this morning... We trust Jesus.